I did, you know, you know, I, I raced Ricky Graham and, and Parker and Carr, of course, and Moorhead and Atherton and, and, uh, you know, all those guys and, and even current day guys, you know, I, I raced Jared Mees and Brad Baker and, Episode 66, back at it, throwing another pod your way. Got a great guest coming on today. I actually raced with this guy a little bit during my rookie years. He was kind of calling it a pro career at that time. He's from Washington State, Dan Stanley. Dan Stanley coming on the pod, looking forward to chatting with him, seeing what he's got going on, talk to him about his pro career. He's a multiple-time GNC podium rider. He's finished on the podium multiple times. TT rider from Washington State, which is kind of like how all those guys are. They're all really good TT riders up there in the Pacific Northwest. Looking forward to chatting with Dan. Also on this on this episode, we're getting Bronson Bauman on. We're gonna talk these new rules, um, midseason rules for the Indians. Who better to talk to than a privateer doing it? on his own, at his house, working on the bikes, driving to the races, racing the bikes. Now, I know he's got some help along the way, but Bronson is a true privateer this season, and I want to get his insight on what kind of changes he has to make to his motorcycle mid-season. Well, we know the changes. We've, the changes are laid out in black and white, but what, what it's taking him to prepare his motorcycles for the Port Royal half mile this weekend um, from what he's been running all season long to um, did he have to buy new wheels? You know, what, what all entailed with the flywheel weights and just, yeah, get some, get some perspective from a, a privateer running the Indian right now and, and what he thinks those changes, what, what they will um, kind of be the deciding factor. Like, will it make a difference? Well, I mean, we'll, we'll talk to Bronson and, and get some thoughts there. Um, want to shout out our sponsors and then we'll get into the amateur nationals. They are wrapping up today. Group two on the half mile group one wrapped up yesterday. So we'll chat about that here in a bit. Stay tuned for that. want to make sure we thank these sponsors for keeping this going without their support. We wouldn't have a pod and, and, uh, we appreciate them for stepping up week after week. Bell power sports, check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products. The Race Star Flex DLX, top of the line helmet in the game. Go get yourself one. Check it out. If you have any questions on those helmets, send me a message. I've been with Bell for three years now, going on three years, and super stoked with my relationship with Bell and what they're doing for the industry and the sport of flat track. Yamaha Motorsports and Yamaha Racing. Check out their website at yamahamotorsports.com. Motorcycle, ATV, side by side, snowmobile, and power products. Yamaha revs your heart. Make sure you shout them out on social media and thank them for supporting our show. Moto America, Brainerd, Minnesota. I missed it, Washington. <laughs> Brainerd, Minnesota is next on the schedule. Get tickets on motoamerica.com. And if you can't be there, if you can't travel to Minnesota, subscribe to that Live Plus package. Junior Cup, Hona Superbike, Supersport, Stock 1000, Twins Cup. A lot of great classes, a lot of great competition this year in all those classes. It's been so rad to watch those guys do what they do. Big fan of Moto America and everything Wayne, Chuck, the whole crew, Paul, they're doing for the for the sport. Love Moto America. Indian Motorcycle. Since 1901, Indian Motorcycle has been the choice of riders who make their own rules. 
go online, go on their website, find your local dealership, go test ride a bike, go check out that, that scout, the FTR, the Indian challenger, um, go test ride one. They are phenomenal motorcycles and they're doing a lot to support the sport and the industry and flat track. And we appreciate them supporting our show, Jerry Stinchfield, Roof Systems of Dallas, Texas, commercial commercial and industrial roofing company with nearly 40 years of experience. Check out Jerry's website at commercialroofsystems.net. If you know anybody that needs a commercial roof or have any um, leads on something like that, hit up Jerry. He's the guy. Like he, he is your guy for commercial roofs, and he's also a big supporter of the sport. Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, the official tire of the American Flat Track Series, Check them out at DunlopMotorcycleTires.com. Snag a DT4. They also have the DT3s available. Uh, tell them C-Tech sent you over. Tank Slap and Pod. AIM Sports Data, the world leader in data acquisition. Solo 2 and the Solo 2 DL, GPS lap timer. We got them wired in on our Yamaha MT07s that I race. A lot of other top teams are using the products. Make sure you check out AIM Sports. And Tommy Hannum from Hannum's Harley-Davidson. Media Pennsylvania, if you need anything Harley-Davidson related, motorcycles, parts and accessories, motor clothes, service work, hit up Tommy Hannum at hannumshd.com and also on social media. They're in Media Pennsylvania, 65 years in business. Tommy's a racer too. He, he races flat track most weekends of the year. When he's not racing, he's supporting, supporting the sport as well. So we appreciate all those sponsors for making it happen. The Amateur Nationals Group 1 wrapped up yesterday, and I'm pumped. My boy, Chase Sathoff, is the 2021 Horizon Award winner. I, For those that don't know, I, I have an amateur team that I kind of put together every year, raise some money through some online auctions. I sell um, auction off memorabilia that, I've, that I have. Other riders donate. Shana Texter, Briar Bauman, um, bunch of riders donate every year to make this happen so all the money we raise we send we split between the riders on the team and we send them to the nationals to help pay for their entries and wristbands and chase actually has been with me since we started chase is a great kid the biggest deciding factors for for kind of that that whole team is is good grades good kids good personalities trying to get like the results are cool they're important but just getting these these young riders to show personality and and get good grades and just put put effort in. It's kind of what I'm looking for nowadays at the amateur level is what kind of effort are the are the riders and the parents putting out because effort's big. It's big for me. You know, it's you got to want to do this. You got to want to put effort in. And Chase, man, and his family, they they put a lot, probably unparalleled effort into what they do right now. They travel across the country all over and just been doing tons of amateur races. Um, Chase's dad, Mike recently retired and they pretty much put all their, all their eggs in this basket and it, it paid off, man. He won the horizon award, won four championships, which is crazy because he had to go up against Tyler Scott, who is a Pennsylvania kid. I've watched him grow up. He's one of the fastest young riders I've, I've been able to watch over the years. And it's uh, it was cool to see them kind of go, go head to head, just, you know, they've been racing each other for a long time. So for them to kind of iron sharpens iron a little bit at these nationals, I think it'll be good as they transition into professional careers. Hopefully tire Tyler can uh, stay on the flat track stuff a little bit more. I know he's road racing and doing well in the uh, Moto America junior cup. I think he's leading the points right now. So it was, it was neat to have those guys come out. 
also wanted to give a shout out to Evan Renshaw, my 250cc rider. He also won a national championship his second year in a row in the 250 class. So that that whole event was really awesome this year. They did a really good job, Steve Nace and Kelly. And waiting to hear what the results are for the 85cc kids. But I know Budman, Adam Costin, Ryder Reese, Brody, a couple of kids I help out. They're also in contention for overall overall championships. So um, yeah. So that's cool, man. It was a lot of fun watching those guys. The coin mile rained out. Shitty, shitty, shitty. <laughs> to travel all the way out there to uh, to watch it rain. But yeah, the consolation prize was I got to got to watch the kids race a bit and uh, and catch some of that action. But let's get into our first guest. He's on the line right now. We're gonna talk talk some of these new rules, see what he's been up to, and and talk about his season so far. Bronson Bauman, Brombo, what's up, man? Ah, uh, just actually trying to get loaded up to head to Pennsylvania. Right on, dude. Well, it's uh, if you're a factory Indian rider for a couple of years there and you made the transition this season to kind of do it on your own privateer style, what's how's that been going, man? I mean, it's obviously you're no stranger to the privateer stuff, but when you go from privateer to factory back to privateer, explain the, the challenges to our listeners on on how that actually that transition actually is. Yeah, you know, um, obviously the factory ride, it was once Harley-Davidson, and then it became, you know, the Indian Wrecking Crew, the the epitome of the sport. That's the ride you wanted. And I was uh, blessed enough to ride for them for two years, and it was a great two years. The second year wasn't nearly as good as the first, but um, that's racing. And, yeah, this year it's been uh, shit, really. Um, it, it's that's the easiest way to put it just it's been a string of bad luck after bad luck really and been working hard to try and turn that around but it, it's been really kicking my butt lately yeah uh, just it, it turned out to be really good at the beginning of the season you know um got two motorcycles thanks to indian motorcycle of oklahoma city and indian motorcycle but um they're worn out so i had to completely rebuild them and not many people know this, but we had some troubles before Volusia and I was already three days behind when I was supposed to leave for Florida and I still didn't have two motorcycles together. And I was calling people, seeing if I could rent motorcycles for the first race of the season. So that obviously started out bad. Then uh, we got down there, thankfully, um, had someone actually bring one motorcycle down and it was uh, running all right and Thankfully, I still have great relationships with Dean Young at SMS Cycles, and the entire factory team kind of came over and said, hey, what do you need help with? And they uh, got my stuff together for that race, but man, after that, it's been uh, a string of bad luck, really. We had one good race, and honestly, that was Joliet, I felt. That was our best uh, weekend, to say, and really, it, it's been... At the beginning of the season, it was looking really promising, you know, had a lot of support and uh, not just financially either. It was just more support and the moral support still there. It's just the financial support. It's, it's gone. I'm a broke kid again. And uh, the team is struggling to get by to go racing at the moment, but we're still doing it, you know, still uh, living the dream. It's been tough in the aspect I am the team owner. I'm the team mechanic. I am the rider. I'm the manager. I'm the truck driver. I do everything. I wash the bikes. I prep the bikes. Um, 
I had a motorcycle blow up in Lima in early May. And I just got that motorcycle back together due to just parts being hard to come by and then just trying to get it done properly. And in between the race season, I, it's hard. So we got it back together finally. And uh, hopefully it's hopefully it stays together the rest of the season now. Well, you got third in the points in 2019. And then last year you mentioned it wasn't a great year, but I still think you got fifth in the point. So um not you know it's not third or better but it's still a solid fifth in the points and then this year you know you said it's been shit and I think you're I don't know sixth or seventh in the points so um you know it's for you now like to say that fifth overall is a shitty year or six you know you're, you're having an awful year and you're sixth in points that's a long way from wh- when I remember you you know back in 2015 and 2016 so obviously you start to do well, your expectations are high and, and you, you, you win one and then you get hungry for, for more, but uh, it's, it's crazy what you're able to do right now, you know, at the top level, like you mentioned, work on the bikes and travel and all that. And, you know, it, it's obviously it's, it's tough, man. And for, for many people like that aren't involved in it, they, they can't even fathom what, I mean, just washing the bike, right? Like, washing the bike takes a long time, um, for you to have to wash the bike and work on them. It takes, it takes time away from, you know, you riding motocross during the week and training and, and things like that, where, you know, that's the luxuries that, you know, the factory riders get, they don't have, they can kind of put their time toward other shit. So yeah, no doubt about it, man. And I'm kind of curious, you know, we got this new rules package that they just came out with, did you know this was going to kind of go down? Like, did you hear any rumors about it? Cause I didn't really know anything about it until they posted it. Well, I mean, for one, the, from where you started at, it, it is shit just because, you know, the, uh, you, you strive to be better every season, you know, that as well as anybody, you won a championship, you came out second the year later. And now what are you doing? You're kicking everybody's butt in the uh, production twins class. So it, it just drives you to want more. And, you know, that's how 19 going into 20 was. It was like, holy smokes, man, I, I finished third. I, I, I know what I'm doing. I, I had more confidence and more confidence and just went in there. And I felt like I shit the bed. Um, you know, I, I only got two podiums sitting back. A race went up. That stung. Stung really hard and deep, honestly. And it, it's just the competitive edge, as you well know. It, you want to be the best in your class, no matter if you're racing fifties or seven fifties, you want to be the number one rider. And it, it, it was something I struggled with and I'm still struggling with to this day. Um, we're fighting through it to be better, but with, uh, the rule changes mid season, it, it's something we've heard coming honestly down the pipe. Um, with last year, them restricting our flywheel weights, which, Really, I think only the factory team really had. I, I, I don't know many other people having the additional flywheel weight. And then, uh, you know, this year, halfway through the season, to restrict flywheel weight, motorcycle weight limit, and the uh, rear wheel, that that that's kind of a bogus call mid-season on just the aspect I'm really fighting for the rear wheels um, because I'm broke. I, I, beginning of the season, I poured money into wheels that were legal. Well, they get to collect dust now. And I've been working with Jeffrey Lowry. We're trying to come up with a way to make them 
passed, but he's busy. I'm busy. And, you know, stuff hasn't lined up as of yet to hopefully get him to go. The weight limit I'm fine with, because honestly, my bikes are pigs. They are, uh, they're heavy and it's helping me out. Actually, you know, I don't have the, uh, financial resources to lighten these things up. So to bring everyone else closer to where I'm at, I'm fine with, honestly. Um, the I was going to say, aren't the, uh, I knew those bikes are heavy. I, I figured, figured the weight thing wasn't, wasn't a huge deal for you, but, um, but let me go to the wheels real fast and then we'll talk about the flywheel weight. That's kind of the biggest thing that I, that I thought of was, um, and I mentioned that I think on last week's show, I was like, man, guys like Bronson and Davis and they have to buy whole fucking wheels now and they're not cheap. Like wheels are expensive. And you mentioned that earlier when you're trying to get parts to fix your blown up bike from the, uh, the early Lima race right now across the industry. I mean, everybody knows parts are hard to come by. Like everything is sold out bicycle wise, motorcycle wise, like some reason, you know, every, they're still trying to get caught up from last summer and there's not a, it's like, I can barely get inner tubes that I use and plastics and things like that. So for you to <laughs> have to get parts, uh, you know, and they only gave you guys a couple of weeks time. It wasn't like they told, you know, uh, you know, it, and in the next two months, you know, it was like, ah, oh, in two weeks, you need to have these wheels. It's like, okay. Um, I yeah. thought, I thought that so, was crazy. Yeah. So really, I mean, in my perfect world or in really anyone's perfect world, they would bring these rules up and give us, you know, a month's time. Granted, that's going to be a lot of races yet because we got a pretty heavy swing coming up, but for the rear wheels, it would be something, Hey, we're going to do this next year. That, I mean, common sense, because they're not looking at the Davis Fishers or myself. They're looking at, you know, the Essence and the Factory Indian and, you know, the Roof Systems teams. And even I've spoken with Jerry about it. And, uh, you know, they invested a lot of money into these rear wheels, and now they get to collect dust. So, really, it, it's, yeah, back to the part of, you know, just trying to get parts. Yeah, it's hard. I'm, I know Jeffrey is uh, Lowry with Lowry Racing Wheels. He's booked solid right now trying to get wheels out for, you know, even amateurs. So really uh, it, it's a, uh, it's a double-edged sword what they're doing. They're trying to hinder the performance of the Indian to try and catch up. And for me, again, it's the two other rules I'm fine with. It's the rear wheels where I don't have money to buy them. And that's the God's honest truth. You know, it's, uh, yeah. well, I'm a how much kid. are a set of wheels, man? They're like 1500, $2,000. Like what is a set with, what, what's a rear wheel, like a heavy rear wheel. I mean, one second I'm pulling up. I, I don't want to speak out of a term here. No. So yeah. That's I'm, why, why you're looking that up too. I was just going to kind of let, let the listeners know that the rear wheel weight, it was 40 pounds at least a year 40. or two ago. And then it went to 42 and now it's going back to 35. So it's been changing quite a bit. Um, and it's, yeah, it's tough. Like rear wheels, it does make a big difference because we can't put anything inside of our wheel, our rear wheels. We can't, we're not supposed to add weight. A lot of people do it. Um, that's a whole nother topic, but you know, to be yeah. legal, you can't add anything that you can't add liners or extra inner tubes or water, things like that. So you got to buy, if you realistically, it's good to have, you know, a 42 pound rear wheel with the tire or 40 pound, you know, 30, it, 
this whole rear rear wheel thing is an ass kicker, to be honest. As far as the it, the bud the budget goes. Yep. So all right. Um, a wheel body. These are from Lowry Racing email. Uh, six hundred dollars for the body itself. For the rear hub assembly, it's four hundred dollars. So you're looking at a thousand dollars for a rear wheel. You're looking at nine hundred for a front. Granted, we're not on the subject of fronts. The uh, rear wheel is a thousand dollars. Jeffrey has been helping me out. Thanks. Big shout out to Lowry Racing Wheels. Um, but it's still a discount. You know, it, it's not. He's he's not giving me wheels. He's he's cutting me a discount, which they're still expensive. Right. And uh, yeah, so basically, I got you know boat anchors. You know, really fancy ones, I guess. <laughs> now, but um. Yeah. Yeah. What, do you it, think it'll make a big difference? Like a lot of people have asked me, like what. How much is it going to help the Yamaha and the Harley? Um, and why do you, what, what was the biggest reason for it? You think the push right now, like why couldn't they wait till the end of the year? Like your thoughts on, on both those. Uh, I mean, it, it's hard to say on how much it's really going to help on average. What's the Yamaha off on pace seven tenths on, you know, a Joliet track, uh, a Williams Grove, um, so it might cut it down to maybe they might be, you know, four tenths off. I, I really don't think it's going to help them that tremendously personally. And, you know, they still have weighted rear wheels. They have unlimited flywheel weight. Granted, you can't fit that much. They have traction control. Um, you know, they're, they're let for a lot of money into it. This is a whole can of worms we can get into. But yeah, I personally see it helping them that much. Honestly, I'm, I'm 90% sure at nine out of 10 races, you're faster than those guys on track time. And you're still a few tenths off of, you know, a middle of pack guy, but that's just how good the Indian motorcycle is. I think the, the combination of things, the, the actual weight of the motorcycle isn't going to have a factor whatsoever. The um, flywheel it is, um, the rear wheel it is, it's going to show who has more throttle control than everyone else. And, even that's where the Yamaha comes into play. We know they make good power. It's putting it to the ground is their biggest issue. And um, I think there's a lot of other issues to deal with the Yamaha before, hey, let's hinder the uh, Indians even more, restrict them even more. So yeah. it, it, I think they're going to close a little bit of the gap, but it's not going to put them that front. I mean, it's, yeah. it's so hard to it's yeah it's dude honestly it's something that i don't even want to touch upon like it's it's kind of a mess and i feel for the guys that have to deal with it i mean when i saw the rule changes it doesn't even affect me but i'm just as a pri as a guy that did the privateer thing for so long i was gutted just thinking of guys like uh yourself and davis fisher and you know the the, the pearson team and uh just all the privateers that are just trying to trying to make it happen right now you know, there's not a lot of riders in that super twins class and it's just, it's just getting harder and harder to, to make it happen. So, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it, man. And, um, kind of let the fans hear your, your struggle. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy for you, for you to go about doing it. And then this is just another, another kind of wrench in your spoke, but with that being said, dude, you got, you got some good races coming up for you. I think these, you know, obviously these, uh, car tracks coming up, you've done well at, and, Peoria so you got some racetracks you're looking forward to right I mean what's your kind of outlook for the second part of the season uh well 
again, now that I got my second bike back together, um, big thanks to Dan Hawkins with CPC Racing loaning me a motorcycle, so I had to to go racing with. Um, it, it, it's looking good. I, I got two strong motorcycles right now. We're working on a couple little things that can hopefully make them better. Um, and yeah, I haven't ever raced Port Royal. I've watched a lot of uh, videos from it. It looks like Williams Grove, and I feel like I'm very hit and miss, hit or miss at Williams Grove, but I was actually on the phone with uh, Dave Atherton earlier today, and I'm feeling my oats on these clay car tracks. And, you know, Texas, we got rained out at, but I was up there in the times, and then uh, Joliet, we were doing all right. And I uh, feel like we have a very strong half-mile package when it comes to the miles. Um, I'm, not real, I'm not looking forward to those too much just because, you know, I have stock Indians and just it is what it is when it comes to them I, i'll just have to ride my ass off on them the half miles i i feel comfortable with uh got a good package good strong run of the motorcycle at the moment for them and i'm eager and excited just because i've done good at you know williams grove before i have decent results at new york and just excited to get out there yeah yeah, I'm stoked for you, dude. I hope hope things get better for your season. Uh, I'm a big Bronson fan. I, it's uh, it's cool to see you do well. You were feeling sporty at Joliet, dude. Like it was it was cool to see, kind of see guys. You know, it, you had a couple bad races, and guys start to think they can push you around, and you're like, I ain't getting pushed around, dude. I'm still I'm still legit. I'm still here to kind of battle it out, and that was that was kind of cool to see at Joliet, sort of throwing your elbows around a little bit. Thanks. Yeah, honestly, it, it kind of clicked in me at Joliet, and uh, I feel like I know what you're talking about. The two passes, pretty sweet passes, if I uh, do say so myself. But uh, the one on um, Sammy Halbert in the semi, and the one on Mies in the dash or cash, uh, it, it, I kind of hit a moment of fuck it, you know. Um, and I know that's terrible to say because our sport is dangerous, but. It, it was the the fuck it of I got to get stuff done and I got to do it right now. It's not let's wait for the perfect opportunity to pass. Um, as you all know, you got to make your own luck and make your own opportunity. And sometimes you have to make your own hole coming through. And that's kind of what happened there. And I've been kind of carrying that um, mindset to a lot of these races where I got to get shit done because again, I'm broke. I got to make money. Um, you know, I, I have bills to pay. We're hungry. Um, dogs so got to eat. <laughs> big dogs got to eat. Exactly. <laughs> we like steak. So uh, it, it's just one of them deals where I'm, that's kind of the mindset I'm going into Port Royal with. It's We, we got to get stuff done. And I was uh, feeling my oats a little bit at uh, Lima, the best I felt there. And, uh, you know, bad luck struck. If I didn't have any bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all, it seems. But um you know it's a big hit or miss season it's you start feeling a high through the day and right now it's kind of you know the darkness is lingering you're thinking in the back of your mind uh what's going to happen next and i can um it's even worse for me because i'm one of the probably the only rider in the super twins class that actually has hands on in their own motors i'm you know building i'm helping build my own motors and you know you're you're thinking about what all goes on inside the motor and throughout the day and that's just another thing weighing on my mind 
man, did I tighten this down? Did I make sure the cam timing was right? Is this thing going to blow up? What did I mess up putting this thing together? So that that's one thing I am battling. And uh, again, it's just, I've had a point of if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And uh, we're just going to keep plugging away through it all. Yeah, no, I feel you, man. And a lot of respect for what you're doing. I've, I've been there. It's not easy, but, but when the good days happen, it's, it's even better probably than, than when you, you know, than when you won your race with the fact, like if you do it on your, by yourself, all those long hours, it's like, man, that was rad. That was, that was definitely worth it. So one race at a time. And yeah, I appreciate you coming on, dude. Like, I know you got a lot going on getting ready for this weekend and appreciate you giving everybody some insight on uh, what you're dealing with. Yeah, no worries, man. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we just got to get loaded up. I'm going to come out to Pennsylvania and actually spend a few weeks out there until New York. So, uh, we're going to actually, I'm calling you out on your own damn podcast. We're having a 125 showdown, <laughs> right? We're, we're doing it. There's, you can't back out now because you're on your own <laughs> podcast. I, I don't care. Oh, man. Well, showdown. I'm a very average moto rider. I feel like I go decent until I ride with like you, Briar and Jake. And it's like all the confidence gets crushed, but I'll take a stab at it, man. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll chase, I'll chase you around for a lap or two until you kind of fade off into the distance. Uh, that's all I got right now. So yeah, bring your, bring your uh, smoker and we'll, we'll get after it. That's cool. I, I was going to ask if you were, if you were staying for a bit, so we'll do some golf and moto for sure. Yeah, exactly. Or until, you know, I fade off backwards with arm pump because I haven't got to ride because I'm so damn busy with these motorcycles. So Well, then the only um, shot I have is we'll have to do it the first, like, couple days you're here just so I'm um, <laughs> something, something going for me. But there dope, you man. go. Perfect. Cool. Well, I appreciate it. I'll, uh, I'll see you this weekend, dude, and uh, thanks again. I'll, uh, I'll catch up with you. Yeah, sounds good, man. Appreciate it, and uh, safe travels. I know it's a short one for you, but I'll see you Thursday or Friday. Likewise, bro. I'll see you soon. See you, man. Bye. Later. Brombo, man, that was uh, that was good. Good to get him on. Obviously, he's got a lot, a lot going on. Getting, getting his uh, his steeds equipped and ready for the second half of the season. New rules and yeah, Brombo's awesome. If you don't love that guy's riding, you definitely love his personality. Just kind of rides like or talks <laughs> personality. How he rides, he's just a sender, and it's good to good to get some insight. We don't usually have current AFT guys on here for no particular reason. I just, um, we're always bringing kind of retired, you know, guys, and it's good to get some insight on what's going on right now. And speaking of retired <laughs> riders, our next guest is on the line pride of Washington state. Actually just recently inducted. I saw to the Washington motorsports hall of fame. We got Dan Stanley, Dan, what's up, man? Hey Corey, what's up? How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for coming on the show, dude. It's uh, it's been a while since I've personally seen you. So, what have you been up to? Well, kind of uh, seems to be like starting over. Got a kid coming up, and and uh, so I'm kind of reliving uh, everything I went through as a kid, and and learning everything that my dad went through is uh, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I saw. I I've seen some pictures on uh, on the internet, man. He looks like he rips around pretty good. How old is he? Uh, seven. Seven. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Cool. Yeah, I'm kind of not quite to that that extent yet, but I have a I have a little one that I'm chasing around, and yeah, it's it's a it's crazy actually. It's comes around full circle, and it's it's just crazy to see like you know your son out there riding. I'm sure you feel the same way, and it's kind of a different perspective. Uh, I feel like going to the racetrack with him, and and then going obviously for me to do a job and for me to race. It's a whole different perspective. I feel like. It is, and I'm finding that out that, you know, you hear guys, they all start out, they take their kid, and they're racing, and the kid's racing, and then pretty soon it's like, it's too much. You know, I'm starting to find that out. Like, to get him up to the line and get him watching and and then try to get myself ready and go out and race, man, that's a handful. (laughs) I've always said I You know, the other end of it is like, how in the hell did our dads make this work? I mean, it's (laughs) not cheap, and it's more expensive than it ever was. And, uh, and I'm by far one of the most competitive guys you'll ever meet. And so whether it's him or his bike or me, you know, I, I, am out there to win every single time, no matter what it is. So I, I know I've always said, I wouldn't be that, I wouldn't be that dad. Like I wouldn't be that over the top peewee dad, but shit, like we have three electric bikes and two PWs and he's not even really even able to race yet. He's only three. So it's, that competitive edge of being a pro racer, whether or not you want to be that guy or not, it sort of, it sort of just comes out. And I think it'd be the same if he was playing T-ball or whatever else, you know, it's just, you know, that the girl- oh, it was, it was, we, we do wrestling too. And, and uh, right, of course, right off the bat, you know, I jumped right in there and started coaching. <laughs> yeah, I just couldn't, couldn't leave it alone. You know, I wrestled for 15 years and was pretty oh, good at wrestling. it. And... That's my favorite sport besides racing. Oh, it is. Oh yeah. You I cannot love have a better yep. sport for I a motorcycle it. racer than wrestling. I agree. Yeah. College wrestling, the Olympics, that's like, uh, something I follow weekly. Like I, I watch it all the time. So, um, that's, Dude, I, I was pissed when they tried to take it away from the Olympics. I mean, wasn't wrestling like one of the most original Olympic sports and now they're yeah. trying to take it away. Yeah. They took a, they took away a weight class this year, uh, which is kind of shitty, but, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of it. I, I didn't know you wrestled. That's, that's pretty awesome. Um, nice. Well, let's, let's get yeah. into it, man. I, uh, want to talk to you. We, we, we don't get too we don't get into the amateur stuff a lot, but I want to obviously yeah. give the listeners some perspective on how you, how you got started in flat track and, was it family related? What was sort of that, you know, introduction to the sport? So my dad, uh, in fact, my entire family, aunts, uncles, cousins, aunts, they all rode, they all raced. Um, in fact, my dad was gone while I was born. I believe he was at Ascot, uh, that the day I was born. Um, I was on a bike at, uh, three years old on Indian 50 and going to the track and, and watching dad race. And, and, uh, I had a cousin Rod who was like a brother to me and we came up together. My dad and uncle ran the local motocross track and I lived on a mountain with about a hundred miles worth of trails. And so for me, every day after school, jump on the bike, go ride with my buddies, 30, 40 miles, just as kids. And then we'd spend, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, out the motocross track, getting ready for the weekend's races. And, and while our dads were prepping the track, we're just riding. So I grew up riding. You know, I, I rarely missed a day. It was just, I just fell in love with it so much that I just rode and rode and rode. And, and I still feel that way today. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome. Just knowing that you actually love love to ride. That's why you got into it. A lot of people get into it for different reasons. So that's that's pretty awesome. Obviously, Washington. Guys, Washington's got a lot of great flat track riders. Um, even now, even back then, um, we were supposed to have Mickey Fay on last week, but we had some technical. He couldn't figure out the his self. We had a cell phone issue or connecting oh, yeah. issue. Yeah. So, um, so even back then, just the crop of riders that you've got, you guys kind of raced with and grew up with. Who were kind of your amateur guys that you battled with every week? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because uh, I I just responded to somebody. I can't remember if it was Tanner Dean. I think it was, and he was saying something about how flat track in the Northwest or in general is far better, you know, than it used to be. And I'm like, well, you know, in the 80s and early 90s in Washington, you were lucky to make the pro main event. There were so many guys that uh, we had the entire front row of a normal Everyday night was all national numbers. We had Mickey Faye, Kirk Strong, Randy Green, who en- ended up going to Speedway and, and lived in Texas. Um, Randy Roos, Don Wilson. I mean, we had uh, Steve Asseltine, my teammate, you know, most of those years. I mean, we had all those guys. And a lot a lot of our stuff was outlawed. My home track in, in Bellingham, Hannigan Speedway was, was pretty much outlawed. So, at 13, I'm running like the 250 Pro class, you know, and back then the 250 class was as big as the Open class. I loved riding them 250 two strokes. And uh, I credit probably out of all those guys, Mickey Fay was by far the smoothest and the toughest guy to pass to this day. And, and, uh, Everybody thinks, you know, Castle Rock was my home track, but I didn't start going to Castle Rock till I was 14, 15 and, mm-hmm. and turned pro sport. And I had to learn how to pass that guy. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean. Man, and I figured it out. I had passing lines there that nobody else had. But, you know, of course he has his crazy party side, but, man, that guy can ride. He doesn't make mistakes. And you can't make him make So uh, I had to figure out ways around guys like that and, and Kirk Strong and all these national numbers. And, and uh, I couldn't have came up at a better time. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy that you, these the younger kids, they, they just – there's some good talent. Obviously, these young kids, are they're fast. Like, but I just think they don't – they don't know what they don't know. Um, and even I'm, I'm a little bit guilty of it. Not so much your error. Cause the nineties, I was a kid at those camel pro races and I knew, right. all, I knew all you guys in the nineties, like that was sort of, they were my heroes, you know, you guys watching you guys in the nineties, but I'm kind of, I'm a little, you know, naive with the eighties and the seventies. I didn't realize how good Kenny Roberts was or Randy Goss or Hank Scott until I've really just started doing this podcast and interviewing guys and doing my research. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's hard for them to kind of speak on it just because they just, they just don't know what they don't know. But I kind of, you know, looking at your personal stats, man, I mean, you were always a really strong 600 CC rider. You have, I think, two or three podiums at the GNC level. I know Peoria TT in 1998, 
I want to say a Castle Rock TT. Um, national number for, I don't know, a million years, it seemed like. Cause, yeah, cause like I'm, 17 years, I think, yeah. I'm looking at these stats, 1993, and I remember racing you. When did you retire, man? Because I feel I raced you. My rookie year was 07, and I remember I have some pictures of us racing together. Yeah, and I, and I think 07, 08, one of the last uh, years of, of the old Castle Rock uh, National, I showed up there just kind of by myself, brought my, my single, not expecting to do much, and, and I think I ended up qualifying like second. Yeah, you put me in the truck. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, and, uh, I, I look know, at... I, I, it was crazy. You know, I kind of, I was kind of unprepared and had a shitty tire and, and, uh, was running around there and, and, uh, I can't remember if it was Rod Lake or somebody, I think it was Rod, but somebody's like, Hey, here's a brand new tire. Don't worry about it. You know, and it kind of saved the day for me because I didn't expect to do so well. And, and, uh. I remember yeah, I've got a picture of, of me and Jared Mees at that race chatting, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I came up at an era, you know, it sucked being out here because of the exposure. It was really tough to get noticed. Yeah. You know, even though, uh, 88, we had amateur nationals out here and, and I don't know if they still do it, but they, they did run a pro sport class at, at amateur nationals. And I won every single race, but one. And the one I didn't win, my 250 seized in the heat race, and I jumped on a Yamaha I'd never rode before and won the semi and on a half mile that that none of us had ever rode. It was just built just for amateur nationals and ended up getting second in that deal. So That's um, the coolest thing I remember about 88 was at my home track was the short track for amateur nationals. And I'd heard and read, of course, all about Larry Pegram and Georgie Price, how these were the two, you know, fastest kids in the entire country. But they were they were still amateurs, so they were an open amateur. So we did a special race because I wanted to race those guys. So we kind of did a special race that wasn't really related to the Nationals on the short track there at Bellingham, and I whooped up on those guys pretty badly. <laughs> I mean, it was my home track, so I definitely had an advantage, but it's it's something that I really, really wanted to do. Yeah, that's awesome. I actually, going back to that Castle Rock in 07, I actually have a picture. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I'll have to send it to you, but it's uh, – it's, I think it's our semi and it's Joe cop, you, Kevin Barnes, Ron Wood, Nikki Cummings, and me. And I'm the only letter I'm on, I'm the only letter on the front row. And I remember you and Joe made the main and I, I, I just missed it. And, uh, I, I was like, I, I, after the race, I was like, man, Dan, I think Dan Stanley's brother beat me. I don't know. I didn't know it was you like the dance <laughs> in the nineties. I was like, I was, I told my dad, I was like, Dan Stanley's brother. I don't even know who, who, what his name is. He, I was like, he put me in the truck and my dad's like, that is Dan Stanley. And I was like, what is it really? I was like, that's badass. Like it was kind of a, a cool little consolation, man. But yeah, that I'll have to send you that photo. Um, so yeah, I was kind of, so it, when was your rookie year then? I mean, I, I know you, you, you were podium, you were on the podium in 93. What was your rookie rookie year? Let's see. So I was pro sport in 88 and I was, did that for one year. And then 89, I turned junior and I ran junior nationals for two years. So I think 90 would have been my rookie year. Okay. And then we, there was some weird stipulation. Cause I remember 
one year um, on the circuit. I mean, I think back then all I did was Castle Rock. I didn't really, I didn't have a ride. I just rode, I rode the, the BBRP bike that I'd always rode from Brian Billings. And, you know, we were fast in the Northwest, but we didn't travel too much. We'd go down, of course, to Sacramento and San Jose. And, and I picked up the miles really fast. I was always a front runner in the junior class. And, you know, back then, pretty much the guy to beat uh, was uh, Lonnie Pauly. I mean, he had a super trick dual carb, dual pipe Rotax. And, and he's one of the first guys, I don't remember who built his motor, but he was one of the first guys that came out with all the super trick stuff, uh, you know, kind of before wood and that might've been a wood bike, but man, that thing was fast. Is it crazy now that the Rotex is, it's vintage legal? Yeah, it is. You know, that bike, that bike (laughs) can still win, you know, and, uh, I've got a, a an old pal of mine, and he went and bought Don Wilson's old Circle F Rotax Big Bore 660, which was the clone to my national bike. And I've been racing it here lately, and it's like, man, that thing, you come out of the corner, and it just blows the doors off the 450s going down the straightaways, and I just laugh every time. It's like, yeah, Rotax, man. These things are a blast. <laughs> but the, it's crazy, because I, I promote a race now, and... Um, guys were calling me just, they're like, we just want to double check that Rotex can run in the vintage class. And I'm like, no, I was like, what do you mean? They're like, well, it's an AMA rule. They're vintage legal. I was like, holy shit. Really? I was like, well, if, if it's vintage legal, yeah, I just, I have a hard time, um, kind of considering a Rotex to be vintage. Cause when I turned pro, that was like what everybody rode. Um, I personally, you know, I'm with you on that. It's, it's like, they, they almost need their own class. I mean, those things were made up, you know, into the mid nineties and, and they never really changed much. And <clears throat> people are still, you know, developing them and, and getting big, big horsepower out of them and stuff. So it's, it's pretty unfair to the other bikes. I agree, but yeah, they definitely should be in their own class. Yeah. And I never even, I've never liked ro- a Rotex. I mean, I, I get hammered on the pot all the time, but I've never liked riding a Rotex. I don't know if it's my riding style or, but I've ridden some good ones apparently. And I've just never, I, with a Rotex, I feel like when you make a mistake in the corner, it takes you like a whole lap to kind of like gather yourself back up. Whereas like the four fifties and even the parallel twins versus an XR, you can kind of make a mistake, give it gas and like correct it really quick where the Rotex is a huge momentum bike. Um, oh, it is big time. Yeah. But if you grew up on one, you learned that momentum. True. Yeah. And true. so you didn't, you know, you used to the, the twitchy, you know, super light flywheel, you know, race bikes where you can make it up real quick. The Rotax has taught you a lot, you know, they really kept your corner speed up and, and man, those things on a mile, what a blast. Those were some of the funnest races I ever had. I mean, <clears throat> there's a couple of Kenny Coolbeth and I, just the two of us back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, it's just amazing. Um, Brian Smith was probably the, the, the funnest mile guy I've ever raced, man. Him and I would go back and forth on wins. <clears throat> he, uh, one year we did form the USA at Sacramento and we were, uh, 
in the lead group and I came off the corner in the lead or no, uh, right behind, right behind him. And I was going to, uh, draft past him and that son of a bitch hooked a left right towards the inside guardrail and caught all of us off guard ended up winning the race. And I remembered that for an entire year. I was so pissed off that the next year we went back there I let off turn four and I dove to the guardrail and I won the race and I got him back and he ended up second and that kind of <laughs> made my day. What are your thoughts actually? That kind of brings up a point that I haven't really asked anybody, but what are your thoughts on the last corner move on miles? Like there's been some debate on it. Um, you know, guys, guys, and even, I don't know, back in the day, everybody sort of came off turn four and they drifted wide. Like you didn't see guys kind of going to the to the bottom like you do nowadays. Um, You're right. You never did. You watch all the old videos, and and it was just a draft game. It wasn't a swerve game. And now, um, Jared does it a lot. You know, I, I watch every race. I never miss a race. But it's it's kind of a gray line there. You're allowed your one move, and and these guys are. It's almost like it's a move and a half because they're kind of swerving and then they just start drifting back right again a little bit. You know, it's, it's yeah. Breaking the draft. And uh, yeah. Well, I, I think the first guy I seen do it was, was, was Brian Smith and he won a lot of races that way. And I've never seen any, nothing is like, Holy shit. That was sketchy, but it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's just different. Like you got to almost prepare for it now where guys kind of, come off four and they dive pretty much off the groove um, on a, yeah. lot, a lot of these racetracks and it, you got to kind of pucker up a little bit and, and just know, you know, you can't, it, it, when I turned pro to five years later, it, it changed a lot, that last corner move. So. And that, that move is so tough to prepare for because it doesn't happen every time. So you you know you just never know if they're going to do that or not, and and you kind of almost have to give them a little bit of room so that you've got time to react, and and that's a tough tough to defense against. It really is. Yeah. Um, kind of want to go back to the Washington, the current current Washington pros. I mean, there's there's some good guys that are uh, racing from Washington now, and kind of curious on what your relationship is like you're obviously still in still invested in the sport and still involved do you mentor any of the current guys keep in touch with any of them like what's your relationship like with the with the washington guys uh not not a lot of the new guys there's there's a a couple kids coming up that are pretty decent but it it is not like it used to be All, all of our tracks have gone downhill i mean you'll get Castle Rock are on a race. I mean, they're lucky to get 80 riders anymore. I mean, and that's, and that's a lot. Um, our indoors packs it in, but the big tracks, we're just not getting the turnout that we used to get. Um, our track that's close to me now is about a hundred miles away in Spokane where, where Joe cops from. And it, it's crazy on a short track night. We'll have 25 heat races on a TT day. We're lucky to have 15, you know, everybody goes home. They just don't like the TT stuff anymore. And, uh, as far as, you know, anybody super, super fast, nah, there's a couple of young kids, but, but nobody that's really, there's no Brad Baker's, uh, right now at this point. Um, Michael Hill was on his way, but you know, he's, he's off road racing now and, yeah. and doing really well. 
So congrats to him. What about um, your relationship with Sammy? You talk to Sammy at all? Uh, I don't. Every once in a while, I get a message from him about something. Um, He's Florida you know, now. <laughs> as He's... a kid, you know, of course, I was uh, really close with Jethro more than Sammy. Um, you know, he was a little older than Sammy. And then Sammy came up, and, and man, you know, he's he slamming Sammy for a reason. But since since the indoors were so big here, that's where you learn that. And it's part of that Mickey Fay era, the transition of those guys being impossible to pass, especially on an indoor. Mickey is the whole shot master. And even to this day, he could still go out, and if he got in front of you, those kids couldn't beat him. And so that's where all these crash and bashes started is there was no way to pass. So these kids and Sammy started it, just would just start drilling you dead center in the corners and just blowing you off the corner. And that's how that all evolved was the old guys were too tough to pass. And so you just start knocking them out of the way. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying any names, but. Well, it was probably five years ago. We were at a, uh, one of the Ed Beckley, you know, TT weekends with the monster trucks. And I'd won every single race. It was a three-day race. And, like, the last uh, – it was during the heat race on the last day. And I'd led every single lap. And I did not leave an inch going around the hay bale for the finish line. And I just got punted. And uh, I got in the kid's face. And he says, that's what you get for being old and slow. <laughs> You wish there was one more, one more race that day to line up and, uh, and, <laughs> and give it back to him. But golly. Yeah. I watch, uh, I watch like the videos from Salem, the indoors that you, you guys have. Yeah. Out there. I watch those videos and I'm like, yep. Never going to that one. Uh, it just doesn't look fun when every corner guys are just sawing each other's legs off. It's like, yeah. Oh. And the thing about Salem it, it's by far our biggest indoor, you know, I'm sure Brandon Robinson's told you about that place. It's super sticky clay. It's banked and it's unbelievably fast. It's so fast. I mean, it's by far the fastest indoor I've ever rode, you know, and I rode DuCoin and all that, and this blows them all away. And that's the problem is it's so fast. And then you got guys riding like they're riding. Um, you're going to have accidents. I mean, these guys, all our other indoors are tiny, like first, second gear, you know, demo derby stuff. And then we get out to Salem and it's just, it's a nightmare. I mean, it's a badass track. Don't get me wrong, but it's just too fast to ride like that. Well, and it's a circle. It looks like too, where everybody's just turning the whole time. Um, I just have a hard time with it when it's only like a hundred dollars to win, you know, or a hundred. Right. It's like, man, it's like the risk for this a hundred dollars to go out and get my legs sawed off and not be able to race Daytona. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's tough for me to watch. Like I'm just, I mean, honestly, it's, it's entertaining for me to watch, but putting myself right. in the, in the shoes of the riders, I'm like, y'all are nuts, dude. Like you're bred differently. But, out there. but I think the same thing about you guys. I watch you run uh, that little concrete short track you guys got. It's the <laughs> smallest track in the world. <laughs> and, it, and that seems way more dangerous to me uh, of getting plowed over because there's no room there. I mean, you you're, <laughs> you kind of get out there and get away from those guys usually, and 
because you have to run scared that's the kind of yeah the motivation <laughs> yeah yeah and that's i don't know maybe it's just because that's what we're comfortable like for me yeah it's a comfort thing um i'm sure it's the same for you guys uh just kind of growing up doing it it's kind of just like this is what we do <laughs> so you know uh, and i grew up on a quarter mile a high bank clay quarter mile was you know that's my home track it was super fast and so i kind of grew up on a fast track we didn't have any half miles out here um so we just had castle rock i did get to run the famous sidewinders tt just a couple times on a 85 and a 125 before it was shut down which was pretty cool um but other than that we never really traveled uh once i turned pro sport um, of course, we did a little bit of West Coast stuff and and uh, some Idaho stuff. And then uh, that's back when they had regionals. And I did win a regional championship. Uh, that's a great story, too. We were on our way back to Sturgis for the final round at the short track there. And we stopped at a half mile in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And I was riding my uh, BBRP bike. And I was also sponsored by the Idaho Gold people, which were Steve Asseltine's sponsor back then. And they had a couple of uh, real nice XR750s for Steve to ride. And, and they'd offered, hey, you want to try out your seven, R750 on the half mile? And I'd never rode one before, and I'm 16 years old. And, and uh, so I'm leading the heat race, and, and uh, there's a guy out here that, that rode forever back then, and uh, Ronnie Yamamoto man he ran me off that track and and it was an eight foot drop off and bike got totaled and i dislocated my hip and and uh man the only thing we could do was brian loaded up the single and he drove it to sturgis and i spent the night in the hospital and popped my hip back in and and uh dave and rita who owned, owned idaho gold at the time were nice enough to fly me into rapid city Two days later, and I went back to the short track, and both Steve and I won the national last night. He won the pro class, and I won the pro-am deal, and I ended up winning the regional championship fresh out of a dislocated hip. Jeez. Yeah, I, I don't know. I still feel the old era. It just the guys were built different, um, especially after watching on any Sunday and then hearing stories like that. It's like, yeah, I feel you like – Younger I'll guys. argue with guys, you know, and I've talked to Joe Cobb about this, and you always ask, you know, what was the best era? Well, of course, you know, the, the Camel Pro days was, was probably, in most people's eyes, the best era. Well, I got to catch the tail end of that. So I literally got to race, even to this day, um, most everybody who's ever been anything in flat track. You know, I, I got it there just in time. The first 750 national I ever rode was Pomona on a Dodge Brothers bike back in, like, 93, 94. Um, what, when was your dad's last race? I don't even know that answer. Um, I want to say it was probably late 90s, maybe, maybe, like, 2000, maybe. I'm, I'm sure I was at the track while he was racing because like so we did ascot you know junior nationals and stuff so and he was there you know in the twins class i don't know if i ever got a chance to race with him but 
I did, you know, you know, I, I raced Ricky Graham and, and Parker and Carr, of course, and Moorhead and Atherton and, and, uh, you know, all those guys and, and even current day guys, you know, I, I raced Jared Meese and Brad Baker and, and a lot of those guys. So it's pretty crazy to think that I've raced the best in the business, even up until this day. And at one point or another, um, I beat every one of those guys, whether it was a main event or heat race or, or whatever. Um, I got a chance to beat each and every one of the, the best in the business at one point. Yeah. I mean, it's cool when you hear stories like that, guys like you that have raced for so long. And um, who do we just have on? We had somebody on that raced a long time and they got to race uh, so many different people. I'm trying to think who one of our recent guests was. They raced like, oh, Ronnie Jones. We had Ronnie Jones on. Uh, oh, yeah. That guy never quit. <laughs> he got the race literally Mert Lawwell all the way up to like Briar Bauman. Uh, it's just crazy. Yeah, that's that stuff's really cool. Um, I want to talk a bit about you're known as a TT rider just because of your, your podium success and 600 nationals. Obviously, you've done well on many different kinds of racetracks, but uh, TTs probably were your probably was I'm not your favorite, but maybe the discipline you did best on. I think initially, um, you know, I started uh, my career motocross racing. We never did too much flat track as a kid. Um, <clears throat> what we did was just for fun. You know, we go to the indoors in the wintertime and uh because there was nothing else to do that was kind of before arena cross and and there wasn't much to do in the winter time other than wrestle so in between wrestling and, and that we'd go to the indoors and that's where i kind of broke off probably about 12 13 years old i kind of broke off from the motocross i mean i kept at it at one point i was probably one of the top five six intermediate motocrossers in the state but i was still better at flat track and uh my cousin at the time who we traveled around with and stuff we kind of came up with larry ward and they got to be good buddies and 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 he traveled the country in fact he he went to uh like ponca city and world mini and stuff and and was beating guys like ezra lusk and being on the podium at all these you know huge amateur national motocross races and uh Man, him and I, we pushed each other so hard for so many years, whether it was in the trails or on the track that, you know, I credit, I credit my cousin Rod with uh, a lot of my success because not only were we fast, but we wanted to beat each other. And when I kind of broke off into flat track was about the time, I mean, he, he retired from motocross about 11 years old because of he was on his fourth or fifth broken leg already and and had enough. And I remember that to this day, it really affected me. Um, you know, I lost my, my buddy, you know, as far as racing and and traveling. And I loved, you know, we'd always call each other. And even to this day, you know, I talked to him all the time, but when I was back racing back East, he'd be one of the first people after my dad, I'd call, Hey, here's how I did this weekend and stuff. And I used to love, you know, hear how his weekend went, you know, when they were off motocross and we were off flat tracking and it was just a big family, you know, family effort. And, and, uh, I couldn't have asked for better. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had Steve Baker 
you know, the first American world champion from my hometown, you know, and he was my first sponsor and, and he was calling Kawasaki. We were getting prototype parts for, for these motors we were building and stuff. And as a kid, I didn't know any better. I just figured, oh, so this is just the way it works. You know, we walk into a shop, we'd load a new bike on the trailer. I mean, there was times where we would literally, we'd race Thursday night, we'd go out there, get a brand new KX85, put it on the trailer, fire it up and let it idle for the 20-minute drive to the track so the motor was broken so we could race that night. And I just thought that's how it worked. You know, as a kid, you don't know any better. It's like, oh, so we just pull in the shop and they give us bikes? Well, that really wasn't the case. And, and uh, you know, like I said, as a parent now, I'm finding out that, man, it's a lot of work and a lot of money. Have you bought a Cobra yet? They're like four grand, five grand. No, you know, Golly. I'm I'm super blessed that, that you know, Brian from BBRP kind of picked me up when I was about 13. I remember uh, we were out at the track and, and he's like, hey, I want you to test this the tt 500 you know let's see how you can do around the track and you know i was really little i mean at 13 i was probably 70 pounds and uh man i rode that thing around the track and instantly fell in love with four strokes that was the first framer four stroke bike i ever rode and i remember you know whose bike it was and man i had that thing on the limiter compared to the the guy that was racing, it was like three teeth off. And from that point on, you know, I was on his Rotax right away after that. And 14 years old racing all these national numbers on a super fast quarter mile every weekend. And every weekend I'd take one step closer to the front. And pretty soon, you know, as a 15, 16 year old, that's when Azeltine came on the scene. And like to he was fast. I mean, he came down and, and just blew everybody's doors off. And so then I had a new goal. And man, he's the nicest guy in the whole world. He's Canadian, right? Yep. That's what I thought. Yep. And now he uh, he's uh, lives in Colorado now. He's a fire marshal. I chat with him every once in a while. Big, big, big into mountain bike racing. Him and his whole family. They're uh, oh, no shit. they're all champions of you know cross country mountain bike racing and and. Uh, Man, like I said, that guy, I traveled with him, you know, lots, lots of places all over the country. He's, he was so good and so funny. And, and, uh, he's just, you know, he's one of them guys that, man, could he ride a single and kind of like, you know, Mickey Faye and these guys, they could ride a single and then they'd struggle a little bit on the twins. You know, Steve had some pretty good finishes on the twins, but could just never get it down. Yeah, And I've been always one of those guys that, you know, I, I rode several different brands. You know, if, you, if you've seen, I rode the Aprilia and I rode the Triumph. And we were the first uh, to win on that DRZ 400 when the Formula USA came out. And to me, it was easy. You know, I just hop on, hop on the bike and just ride it. Um. The first break I ever got, you know, other than the Dodge Brothers thing, I rode their bike that one time, and I never rode it again. You know, I missed the main by one spot the first time I ever rode it, at, right out of the heat race. And I was so mad 
because I was used to winning, you know, everything. Um, that was the first cushion, you know, that I ever rode. So at the checkered flag, I left that thing pinned as fast as I could diving into one just to see what I could do. And I clipped the hay bale and cartwheeled the thing and mangled it all up. And, and they threw it together real quick and we were leading the semi and then the pipes fell off with like two laps to go. Well, and I wasn't invited back to ride it anymore after that. I was going to say that probably wasn't, uh, wasn't the play call. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, uh, literally I'm just, sitting at home and I get a call from Mr. Fred Schmulbach from Illinois and and he had a couple of kind of pieced together, literally pieced together Harley Davidsons. And uh so my very first race for him would have been I ninety six. And I actually won my scratch heat over uh Springsteen and then uh Miss again, missed the main event by one out of the heat and one out of the semi, you know, the first ride ever. And then the very next ride, I started making mains on it. Uh, I think Springfield was uh, right after that. Well, I, and I to got ask... to be pretty good, pretty good on the miles. They're, they're still today, the miles are my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got it's the body. Slow motion. The body for, I mean, you're a smaller guy too. So it, it seems to, seems to help too. But then again, like, like you said, you did really well with the TTs when you started. Um, and I feel like, like taller riders have the, have a slight advantage when it comes to TTs. Um, but you've, you got the race with a lot of good, I was going to ask you, you've raced with, oh man, you've raced with Mickey Fay. You've raced with, uh, like Ricky Graham, Chris Carr, J.R. Schnabel, Nikki Hayden. Nikki Hayden, Henry Wiles. So you've raced with, some really badass TT riders pretty much the best, the best TT riders to ever do it. And as a TT, right. as a TT rider yourself, who, who would you, who is the, who would you put on like your Mount Rushmore of TT riders? Like who were some of those top guys that you ever lined up with on a TT? Well, Chris Carr is number one for sure. Um, Over Wiles? Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. You just, you know, I got to watch that guy, not not just Peoria, but some of the TTs out on the West Coast and stuff. And yep. um, Boise, Idaho had a regional, used to have a regional race there, and we had a, a half-mile TT. It was on a hillside. Um, oil track, uphills, downhills. The, he just uh, talked about that track. Was, he just talked yeah, about that track. Bitching. Yeah, that's what he said. That's badass. Chris Carr was the first guy to come out of turn two and never shut off the throttle going through the right-hander, just wide open all the way around that deal. Um, and then, you know, all those years at Peoria, I know Henry's, you know, got that deal, but Carr was first. He was the first guy to do it. He did it on a framer everywhere he went. Yeah. Um, I'm a big Carr fan, man. I think he's super underrated with, the versatile, like how versatile he, he was in his career, just, um, just doing every, all the different disciplines very well. And then road racing, obviously doing very well land. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's pretty underrated. So I, I was just, yeah. I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I was just, I get people, you know, the, the wilds versus car argument. And, um, it's hard to compare those compare the, the times, um, right. obviously, but, you but know, and bad dude. You know, Wiles is right there on the list, but you got to think, you know, 
if, if Nikki had stayed in it, I don't think anybody would have touched him on a TT. Yeah, I can't argue that. I mean, he he was really fast at Peoria when he won it, and and uh, nobody's even close. And you, know, you wonder what that kid could have done if, if he'd have stayed in flat track. He, he'd have been a grand national champion for sure. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you two more things, and we'll let you go. And I don't know if something you want to talk about, but um, kind of it's just an incredible story that I've kind of come across and have learned about. I've seen you post about it a little bit, but – your crash at, I think it was Sacramento. Um, yeah. Incredible crash, man. And you had some very serious injuries. Uh, they didn't think you'd be ever be, ever be able to walk again. And then you uh, obviously overcame it and went back to being a successful pro rider. And there's been a lot of those kind of injuries the past five, six years. And uh, I wanted to kind of share that story and, and people listening kind of know what you've went through and, uh, and w- where you're at now with that. So uh, a little backstory is I went into Sacramento angry because I had just come off uh, Springfield where uh, I, I don't know what happened earlier in the day, but some, some reason we were on the third row for the main event. And after five laps, I was in the lead and led a lot of that race with the top three guys. We kind of pulled away from everybody else. And I had an outside line where I was just passing guys right and left. In fact, one point, I think I passed six guys in one corner, just way up high, just blowing, blowing by guys. And, uh, two laps to go, the chain broke, you know, and that would have been a podium, my first podium on a mile. and, And I was pissed. So I came into Sacramento, you know, with the Springfield mindset. And so we get out there the first practice, you know, and I'm like hammered down while the track was really, really slick. Springer was right in front of me and he almost went down. I seen him go into, into turn three way sideways and I'm like, oh shit. And I turned that thing and down I went instantly. And, and he watched the whole thing. He said he was turning around watching me. And I slid feet first through the fence about 130 miles an hour and um, broke my back pretty badly. I think it was a 12-hour surgery. I was paralyzed for just about a month um, sitting in the hospital. And and finally, you know, I, I got nurses coming to me with these books on, on how to live, you know, being a quadriplegic and you know they weren't very supportive you know they were like well you might make it out of this you might not we don't know and so that was pretty depressing and then the one day just one day my toe wiggled and and then uh within a week you know things were starting to move and they said well as soon as you can sit up you can get out of here so after a month of sitting in the hospital in california i finally got to fly home and and uh see a specialist who dealt with uh, stroke victims that had paralysis and it's crazy. He had a, like a three month waiting list, but he bumped me right up to the front of the line. He was like, I, I work with old people. I, I want to work with an athlete. Let's see what we can do. And the initial evaluation was, yeah, it'll, you'll be probably two years before you can walk normal again, but we're going to get you walking. And, and I made the Daytona opener six months later. That's badass. In fact, 
uh, I was still riding for Gardner at the time, and they didn't have a bike for me because I wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> so I ended up riding uh, one of Rick Canode's singles and, and made the main both days, right? right? No training. I rode my dirt bike for about a week before Daytona. I, I still wore my turtle shell that I had because I felt comfortable in it and uh, made Daytona and scored some points. That's incredible. Yeah, that's... And then uh, you hear... exactly 10, 10 years later, I broke it again. Is that when you retired? Uh, yeah, that pretty much took it out of me. It was almost the same style injury. It wasn't as severe. I didn't lose any feeling. Uh, more rods in my back, and I recovered pretty quickly from that. And, and I've never stopped riding. Um, you know, that, that's kind of – then I got into hill climbing. And hill climbing is – the classes and the bike setups is, is so much like flat track. It's insane. You know, you've you got your 450 class. So you got all your stock 450 bikes. Well, the middleweight and the open class, those are all hand-built bikes, just like flat track. And the community, you know, I got to, I went to a few nationals and, and meet the Whitlocks and the Smiths and all these world champions and the Beers family that I'd read about in Cycle News for all those years. You know, and they, they welcomed me in their trailers, ate dinner with them at the track and hill climbs. And, you know, and they're asking me about line choices. And I'm like, who am I? I'm just some flat track guy, you know. And in the in the early years of the, the nationals out here, before they developed the hill, it was pretty much just a drag race to the top. Well, that was right when they started the 450 class. And I've got this full built. Darcy 450 motor that's by far faster than any other 450 at the hill climb. And I'm like, so all I got to do is just go straight up this hill? Yeah. All right. And I end up winning a few. And uh, sure enough, they tore me down, protested me. And I'm to this day, I'm still the only 450 that's been ever protested and torn down in, in national uh, 450 hill climbing because they thought I was cheating. Yeah, I tell moto, moto guys all the time, like the guys complain about their bikes being slow. I'm like, dude, just call up, I don't know, it, it, at the time it was like a Ron Hamp or Phil Darcy right. or Woody Kyle. Call up any flat track guy and they'll they'll make your bike fast as shit. Like um, flat track guys know how to how to get the power to the ground. Um, now that's funny you mentioned that. Uh, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you about and I'll let you go, but uh, I'm sure you've heard about it. <laughs> Uh, people were messaging messaging you probably, but when uh, Sneaky Sam was uh, a co-host on the podcast, he mentioned that you stole his girlfriend, dude. And I wanted to finally get some insight from uh, Dan Stanley on uh, stealing Sammy Sabedra's girlfriend. So, yeah, I was trying to remember how all that went down. <laughs> and, uh, of course, you know, her, her brother, they were local and her brother raced and stuff. So I'd known her and her brother for a long time. And uh, I believe there was a lack of communication on her point. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea about Sammy at all. And she wasn't divulging any information either. So um, <laughs> It's not your yeah, fault, man. You're innocent. I, I guess my bad, but I didn't know. And, and, uh, and she didn't say so. And so, yeah, we, we'd been kind of hanging out a little bit before the whole Sammy thing anyways. And, 
And like I said, I didn't know. And then I found out later, you know, but I didn't know Sammy then. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, you know, I guess, I guess that's the way it works. Sucks for that guy. You know, and, <laughs> and look who I came up with. I mean, I came up with Mickey Faye. I mean, he's probably one of the most famous guys for, for that part of the scene. <laughs> and so that was my role model were guys like Mickey Faye and, and Randy Roos and these guys that, that chased women. And, and I just thought that's part of the sport. That's what you do, I mean, right? That's how I grew up. <laughs> it's so funny. That's still one of my f- most favorite segments on this podcast. And we're, this is episode 66. And I still, I still remember him talking about that. So. Oh, the messages I got is, you know, and, and you know, it was a, it was hilarious. I can't believe he name dropped. So funny. I was like, holy cow. Yeah. That's so funny. He, was... he sounded, he sounded a little bitter. Yeah. How do you remember that, dude? Like, I don't remember that stuff. Like, I mean, yeah. Like he's been thinking about that for the last 30 years. Jeez. He's got a picture in your, in his, in his room of Dan Stanley. It's got darts in it, dude. He's still not forgotten. Not forgotten. Oh, it's so good. No, dude. And then, you know, but again, those times, you know, you just never forget. I mean, I had a blast (laughs) traveling the country you know, with Murphy and, and Russell and Willie McCoy and, and all these guys. Oh and boy. That's you know, a crew. That's a crew. What a crew, man. I mean, I had so much diversity. I loved going to the race with those guys. And Johnny especially, man, he pushed me so hard. You know, I, I wasn't the trainer like he was. Yeah. And uh, so when I hung out with him, I would train with him and, and go do classes and do some spinning classes and we'd ride moto and – and all that. And I personally think that's what ended Johnny's career early was he, he got burnt out. Yeah. That guy. And he'd get so, he'll tell you to this day, he'd get so pissed off at me. We'd go to an outlaw race or whatever, and I'd smoke him. And he, he'd be like, dude, I, I don't get it. He goes, you don't even train. You have so much talent. You come out here to a track and whoop my ass. And I've just spent, you know, 100 miles on a bicycle this week. And you just come out there and smoke us. He used to really, you know, jerk his chain that I could do that. And That's kind of one thing I've noticed that has changed a little bit. <clears throat> Even when I turned pro, there was only there's only a handful of guys that were training. And now it seems like the bar has been raised where uh, most of the guys now are putting in a lot of work. Um, I mean, obviously back in the Camel Pro days when Springer was smoking cigarettes going to the start line, he, he probably wasn't, you know, running running or <laughs> ride his bicycle during the week uh those guys were you know i hear more about the party stories than than them training and shit like that so it's you know and i was i was at the parties but i never drank never smoked nothing like that i was just there to be there and hang out with everybody and and uh man you know how many times i'd line up with an extremely hungover kevin atherton and he'd have his best race <laughs> I, know. I mean, that, that guy was insane. He was such a blast to be around at the time. Um, super badass guy. And that guy could party and then just blow everybody's doors off. I mean, he was oh, an amazing talent. It just makes you wonder how fast some of those guys would have been if they, uh, if, if they took it as serious as like a Johnny Murphy or Jared Meese, you know, it's, it's uh you always wonder it's that what if in racing, right? I mean, so many, you know, and I do that to myself a little bit, 
But then I always think back, you know what? Yeah, could I have, you know, I came up one point short of winning the 600 national championship to Cool Beth one year. And, and you know, I, I'd have had it. Seattle Mile, I, I had him covered and our bike blew up. And then the very next weekend was Vegas, the finals. And had I finished the mile at Seattle, I'd have wrapped it up. And that's just the luck that I had. Terrible, terrible luck throughout my career. Um, Lima one year, I was fast qualifier in the scratch heats, won my heat race over Parker by a straightaway, and we line up for the main event, and it rains out. And I'm on pole, or not a second over. And they gave, they end up giving me second by one one hundredth of a second over Chris Carr. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then like deal at Springfield, coming from the back to the lead and breaking a chain with two laps to go. Yeah. I, I had that luck my entire career where we'd have super good races, and I'd be out front, and I'm going to win, and then the bike would break. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, that, that goes for most racers. I mean, but it's – it's hard to sit there and you'll lose sleep if you if you think about the what ifs for for too long. It's like, all right, well, no, I I just go back to you know what because I, I have a, so I have a lot of the great same, people. No, I, I hear you. I have a lot of the same deals where it's like, man, like I, I I probably missed thirty main events by one spot. You know, like when I was younger, and and then like the the year I got third at Springfield Mile. I I load up my bike. I I uh, right after the race, I loaded in my van. I come home didn't touch the bike. I unload the bike out of my van and my chain comes off unloading the bike in the van. The, the master clip was gone. Um, so somewhere along the line, probably the last lap of the race or whatever, my, I must've lost my master, my master clip and it stayed on until I finished. And then I unloaded the bike and the chain came off. Um, so it's like, man, imagine if like all the, all, cause I, you know, I've had some shitty luck and it's like, dude, right. I, Imagine if the chain would have came off and I, I was running third at Springfield mile, I would have been devastated. Um, so it's, there's so many like grateful things and then things that you were like, damn, that shouldn't have happened. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of highs and lows and, yeah. and lost a few friends along the way, but man, you know, I, I don't regret it. You know, like I said, I've met great people, you know, Jay came out, Jay Springer came out and stayed a week with me out here when Washington and, you know, and I got to go back there and stay at his place and, and stay Love down in Fort Worth with, you know, Kenny and them guys. And it's just incredible. The people that I've met, the people that I've raced, um, not a lot of people have got, can you say that, you know, I've always wanted to do like a family tree, but a family tree of racers. Because I did a bunch of national supermoto stuff, and I got to race Jeff Ward and and uh, Scott Russell and and these world champions. That it's just an amazing life that I've had, and and doing all these other sports other than flat track, getting to race these guys, and man, you just can't ask for something better than that. Yeah, well, I appreciate you coming on, man, and it's cool that you're still involved in the sport. Your 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 boys racing, and uh, I'm sure we'll catch up with you. At some amateur events here in the near future. I know you're working on some other stuff and I'm excited to see what, what, you know, happens here in the near future for you. Yeah. We'll be excited to tell you all about it. And I want to say, uh, that I'm really proud of you because I figured after last year, them kids coming up, you know, I wasn't sure how you were going to fare anymore and you've come back, you know, you, you got your head down, your bike's working good. 
you know, like I said, I, I don't miss a race. And I analyze and I watch and, and uh, I'm, I'm really proud of you for what you've done to get yourself better. I, I mean, you, you I had some rough that, races man. last year. And look look at you this year, man. You've come back and you've got some attitude, which you definitely needed. And you're putting it down. And, and that's really impressive. Um, keep it going, dude. It's it's I'm rooting for you. I love it. Thank you, Dan. That's, that's cool to hear from somebody like you. And uh, definitely, once again, appreciate you taking the time coming on. And let's keep in touch. And hopefully, we'll, uh, we'll talk with you again real soon. All right, Corey. Thanks so much. All right, buddy. Take care. All right. See ya. Wow. Yeah. Kind of speechless, speechless on uh, some of that stuff, man. It's uh, growing up watching these guys and uh, having guys like Moorhead and Dan Stanley and, and those Parker telling me that they're proud of me. That's, that's just kind of surreal for me. Uh, damn, that's cool. Um, but yeah, Dan Stanley, appreciate him coming on the show and so much information. I could have talked with that guy for uh, forever. Uh, just a lot of long, long career, a lot of great accomplishments and, Still more to come. Really just insightful dude, man. I That was uh, unexpected, and it was really, really, really cool to talk to him. Um, I don't have a lot else for this show, man. That was packed full of info. We got Bronson Bauman on the show. We had Dan Stanley, uh, talked amateur nationals, talked some more Indian rules, things like that. Port Royal is this weekend, so I'm, I'm excited for Port Royal. That's going to be a, a good local – home race for me. Um, I guess it's a home race for half the field. It seems like everybody's from, from Pennsylvania or lives in Pennsylvania, but, uh, yeah, excited for Port Royal. Um, I've never raced that racetrack, but anything Pennsylvania related and especially that facility, my grandpa is in the sprint car hall of fame. We just had him on the podcast last week and he's raced sprint cars at Port Royal. I'm pretty certain my dad has raced Port Royal, and then uh, Shane and I will get the race port Royal. So that's always special when you can do stuff like that. Uh, I want to make sure I shout out everybody that subscribes to our podcast, listens every week, shoot me a message. Let me know what you guys want to hear next. I mean, if you want more Robbie, Bobby, I want to give him a shout out too. He won the 25 plus national championship at amateur nationals. Um, that's pretty cool considering he's 38. So Big Rob to get the job done. He was, he was fun to watch out there, out there when I was on, on Friday. So shout out to Robbie. But if you want more Robbie, Bobby, you want more chambers. It's been a while. We need to get Frankie Garcia back on the line. Jalen Norris. We have so many great people, Andrew Butler that come on the podcast and support what we do and um, send me a message. Let me know what you guys want to hear. Make sure you subscribe, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, leave us a review um merchandise you want if you uh we have a few shirts left uh not a lot of sizes we want to bang out a get rid of these last couple shirts i have in the volume two design and we'll go volume three thinking about putting a noah chambers t-shirt design together um i think me and him in a sidecar would be a pretty badass t design um i actually eh, i'm gonna i'm gonna leave leave a cliffhanger there but we have something sidecar related with chambers and I that we're working on. So yeah, should be good. Um, want to thank the sponsors one more time, make this show happen week in and week out bell power sports, check out bellhelmets.com Yamaha motorsports and Yamaha racing their website, Yamaha motorsports.com. We appreciate them for supporting the podcast. Moto America, 
Subscribe to their Live Plus package, MotoAmerica.com. Get tickets for Brainerd, Minnesota, next round on the schedule. Indy Motorcycle, check them out on social media. Find a dealership near you. Go test ride an Indian Challenger. Those bikes are badass. And our boy, Frankie Garcia, rides one in the Super Hooligans. I'm sorry, not Super Hooligans. In the Bagger, Bagger Cup, he rides a uh, FTR in the Super Hooligans, I think it is. Jerry Stinchfield, Roost Systems of Dallas, Texas, supporting the podcast, supporting me. Many, many other racers as well. Nearly 40 years of experience in the commercial and industrial roofing uh, business. Dunlop Motorcycle Tires. DunlopMotorcycleTires.com, the official tire American Flat Track Series. Appreciate what they're doing for the, the, the industry in general, the sport. They have an amateur team in motocross and flat track. They support our podcast, and they also support the Flat Track Series with contingency and things like that. AIM Sports Data, at AIM Sports Data on social media. Make sure you check them out. Hit them up if you have any questions or hit me up. I use the products Solo 2 and the Solo 2 DL. D, uh, Solo 2 DL, sorry about that. GPS lap timer. It's Tuesday night and uh, I'm, I'm uh, a captain and Sprite into this into this podcast. It's starting to, starting to click in. Um, and I want to give a shout out to Hannum's Harley-Davidson Media Pennsylvania. 65 years in business www.hannumshd.com. We appreciate Tommy Hannum and his crew for supporting our podcast. That's a, that's a wrap. Um, yeah, I don't think I got much else. Shout out to Billy. Makes this podcast go from the editing standpoint. Mickey Fay is coming on the pod. I'm hoping next. Got to get Mickey Fay on. If you guys know Mickey Fay, I know you listen. I know we have some Washington listeners. Hit up Mickey Fay and we're going to get him on the pod. He, he was... A little frustrated. We couldn't uh, couldn't figure out this this uh, this uh, the deal last week, but especially now after Stanley talking about how entertaining Mickey Faye is and the party party guy, I want to hear these stories. So let's go, Mickey. We'll get you on the next pod. We appreciate all you guys. I'll see all the fans this weekend in Port Royal, and it's a wrap. We out.